Welcome to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World. Two film buff friends decide to spend their remaining days creating and watching the ultimate movie bucket list. A podcast filled with film discussions, movie reviews, and a healthy dose of juicy celebrity gossip. Cinephiles unite. We're gonna need each other. you are yeah mita yeah i'm a private dancer <laughs> a dancer for money okay do what you want with me <laughs> nadim yes you're simply the best thank you better than all the rest <sighs> thank you i'm really sad <laughs> <laughs> so did you cry no i didn't oh, cry okay. i didn't cry for tina so not you don't love Tina as much as Whitney. No, I just think Tina would have, if I cried, Tina would have been like, what are you doing? Don't yeah, cry. Yeah, Tina wouldn't have respected Tina wouldn't, that. Yeah. That's true. And I, I respect Tina, so I'll do yeah. what Tina would want. <laughs> Tina Turner did die. She she left a good job in the city. She left a good job in the city. Working, working for the man every, every night, night and day. day. <laughs> she never lost one minute of sleep. But she was, she lived a life. Yeah. She was 80-something? 83. Yeah. Yeah. She lived a so very... So she had a long life. Yeah. And someone actually pointed out on the radio today that she never... Uh, there's no nothing bad about Tina being said. Like, no. there's no bad publicity. There's no, like, she was this, she was that. It was just alone. Tina was a revolutionary singer. Yeah. That's it. She went through some shit. Yeah. Have you ever seen What's Love Got To Do With It? No. I haven't either. But I do know about Ike. I mean, we all know about Ike. Yeah. We yeah. all know Angela Bassett. Maybe we should watch What's Love Got To Do With It. Tonight. Okay. Yeah. What's love got to do with it, got to do with Yeah. But yes, Tina, Tina passed, and the only movie reference we have is a movie we haven't seen. I hear Angela's really good in it. Yeah. She was nominated. There you go. A lot of people feel like she should have won. Who won that year? I think it was Holly Hunter. For the pianos? Yeah. Mm. Piano. Yeah, but Holly Hunter is... Quite good in that. Quite good in the that piano. That weird little movie. That weird movie yeah. that Mita did not get. <laughs> I got it, but like, I, did I like get it? Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, did I latch on? Exactly, yeah. which I understand because it's a weird movie. It is. But maybe we should watch what's love got to do with it. And, and then the out. piano. <laughs> no, we've seen the piano. We're good on that. Okay. We just watched that. But in more timely news, yes, Khan is currently undergoing. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you say Khan, and I was like, Shadu. No. <laughs> The Cannes Film Festival (laughs) is currently underway. Not as exciting as last year? I honestly have not been paying close attention. Clearly, you were not paying attention (laughs) because you didn't know. Not as exciting as last year. The only thing I'm interested in is May, December. Yep. Yeah, I haven't heard anything like review-wise. I just really am interested in that concept. So the reviews I've read have said it's good. It's not going to really get rewards traction. Okay. Because there's a lot of big, big movies coming up this year. Yeah. Like? Like? Killers of the Flower Moon. Killer, Killers of the Flower Moon. Dune. Yes. Uh, Oppenheimer. There's right. like big, 
There's big, big movies, blockbuster, blockbuster and like blockbuster art movies too, like Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. So something like May, December, especially because I've read that it's a little salacious. Oh. As a, well, even the, like the storyline yeah. is a little like. It's like. It's like, yeah, a gay man's wet dream. Yeah, but it (laughs) it could go one way or the other. It could be really cheesy or it could be well done. And Mm -hmm. in Todd's hands, Todd Hayes' hands, it could be... Really well done. Really well done. But it could border on... Scandalous. Not scandalous, just like cheesy. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to find out. But yeah, Cannes is underway right now. And Cannes is usually the beginning of the festival season. Mm -hmm. Because then, and it ends with... Toronto in September and then we slowly move into it's the kind of the real beginning after the Oscar season the movie year kind of picks up and I think last year was more exciting because of our girl Deepika of course she just made it more interesting she she stunned everyone Triangle of Sadness ended up winning Winning. the Pawn of the War and then went on to be nominated so we'll see what kind of goes in that direction you never know you never know I did hear that the Sam Levinson show, The Idol, starring The Weeknd. The artist Lily. formerly known as The Weeknd. Oh, is that how he's going now? Like maybe. It's Abel, I can't pronounce his Abel last name. Abel something. Abel something. And Lily and Rose Lily Depp. Lily Rose Depp is supposed to be not good. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it's really. I assumed, if I'm yeah. really honest. That trailer did not look good. It just seems like a lot. And yeah. like, how much can you rest on, like, euphoria craze? Yeah. yeah. And he can't act. Abel? Yeah. Okay. Abel cannot... Like, even in that trailer, yeah. he's got, like, two lines, and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. Good. She might be able to. Yeah. She doesn't look bad, but he does not look no. good. Not everyone... Not every artist is an artist in every way. No. I also just... I don't love Sam Levinson. Oh, no. I don't, I don't either. Yeah. I think Euphoria is... I don't get it. I, think I don't love, get it. What was the movie with um, Zendaya and John Marley David Washington? And- don't what are their names? It's their names. Yeah. Something Mar- and something. Marley and something? Is it Marley? Not Marley and, and me? No. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like Marley and me, right? But it's yeah, not. It's not. It's, oh. I just didn't get that. I'm going to have to I look it up. He, I think he actually is like, he is true form. Malcolm and Marie. Malcolm and Marie. He yeah. is true form Nepo baby. True form Nepo baby. Yeah. And he's really right in that way. Yeah. And I think Euphoria is purely one note as well. Like and I haven't watched it. I've but. sat through some episodes, yeah. and, and it's very one note to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's the groundbreaking show it wants to be, but I can totally see how, like, high schoolers and, like, young adults, like, university people think it is. Yeah. Because it's really meant to target that audience. We are not the... We're not those We are people, not no. those people. We I watched the, the one episode, and I was like, I'm not going to get it. It just this. was not... I just wasn't feeling... It just felt too overdrawn and too, like, salacious for the sake of salacious. Yeah. And I'm not here for that. So I'm not hearing good things. I'm not surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Also, I find it weird when TV shows premiere at Cannes. Yeah, that is weird. That in and of itself is when strange. When has that happened before? It's happened before with other things. It's yeah. not the first time. Okay. I just don't... I don't know. No. That's no. not a thing. That's it's, weird. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> but back to Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. Getting great reviews. I saw a standing ovation. They all get standing ovations now. And that's the frustrating thing. Yeah, but like seven minutes? It got a very long one, but the reviews are actually rolling in and they're saying it could be, some might call it, his best yet. Oh, really? Marty! Marty. So excited for him. And a lot of Oscar potential. Three and a half hours. Yeah. Which is not small. That's a long time. It's a long time. And I find more and more... 
the older I get, mm-hmm. the less patience I have for a long movie like that. <laughs> yeah. Like you really gotta. You have to really be selling me. You gotta be really be selling me something for me major. To sit there for three hours. Three hours. And honestly, if you're gonna be three and a half hours, three and a half, not even three. You're close to four. If you're gonna be three and a half hours, you better throw in an intermission. Oh yeah. Like that's only. I think that's only reasonable. So there better be a nice fifteen minute pee break in that film. And they better announce it. There will be 15 minutes at the halfway They're point. They're not going to do that. I'm just throwing that out there. Because it does, I understand that it do, what it does to like, like exhibition and all of that. And it throws it off. But seriously, you're going to encourage people more to come. Also, I don't think they understand that with intermissions, people will buy snacks. Yeah. That's, you'll make more you money. You will actually make more money on that movie. Yeah. Throw in the intermission. That's what you think you're going to lose out in show times. You will gain back then some in concession. Also, movie theaters offer better food. Like, I don't want nachos with gross cheese on yeah. it and, like, a hot dog. Yeah. Like, give me something good. Because you know we're going to pay for it. Yeah, give That's me some hot thing. nuts. Interesting. Hot nuts Why would be hot nice. Nuts? Hot nuts are great. Okay. Yeah. But that feels like... It's just really fast and easy is what I'm thinking. Like, I don't want, like, a, a, like a good pizza at a movie theater because, like, it'll take yeah. too long. But that feels like a food safety issue waiting to happen. Hot nuts? Yeah. Why? Not serving nuts in general. Oh, allergies. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, like, they have Reese's at the movie theater. But those are, I guess, prepackaged. Not, but like, open nuts. Then they just have to re- be really careful and sure, safe. Sure, I'm sure they will. And the, the people theater. with the allergies need to be careful and safe. They can't just I mean, expect yes. everybody to, like, succumb to their allergies. They have to do the work, too. I can't just... I can't tell by looking at you if you're allergic to nuts, no, that's right? They have to step up, yeah. too. My brother has an odd allergy. Yeah, I'm he, sure he tells people. Yeah, and he walks around with his EpiPen because he's just like, it's. he says, okay. it's like, I, it's my responsibility to know and be careful. And Good. That's what he does. There you so go. I, get it. I don't think that's ever going to happen, though. Warm nuts. But I do agree hot with nuts. hot nuts. Don't say warm nuts. Hot <laughs> But I do agree with um, having better snacks. Hot, spicy nuts. Like with a little masala on them. Oh, that's not going to happen to me, though. Oh, I wish. <laughs> Maybe pre Maybe we should nuts. open a theater and have hot nuts. Yeah. One, another one of Meet those great ideas. <laughs> so many. Uh, but speaking of great ideas. Yeah? Yeah? Commendable ideas. <laughs> Ordinary well, ideas? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Mita, what did we watch this week? This week, Nadine, we watched the 1980 Best Picture winner, Robert Redford's directorial debut? Is it? I want to say so. I don't think it's directorial debut. Let me see. Let's, well, not me. You're going to look it up. I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> Maybe I lied. Nope, you're correct. Directional de- director, directorial debut. Yeah, Robert Redford's directorial debut. Yeah. Ordinary people. All the ordinary people. Yes. Mita, mm. give us a disco. I, I will. Yeah. The accidental death of the older son of an affluent family deeply strains the relationships among the bitter mother, the good-natured father, and the guilt-ridden younger son. Yes. That is Ordinary People, our first movie of the 80s. Yeah. You hadn't seen The Ordinaries. No, I thought I had seen parts of it. Okay. I had not. No? Okay. (laughs) No. I knew about... The water, <laughs> like I knew about the drowning. Yeah, okay. But I, so I, in my mind, I thought, I thought they drowned in a pool. Okay. For some reason. Okay, okay. But I think I might be mistaking it with like a quote from an episode of Veronica Mars. Sure. <laughs> There's like an episode of Veronica Mars. Okay. Where 
uh, one brother says to another, like, oh, I'm going to, like, whoop your ass like ordinary people. And then the younger brother goes, the older brother dies in that year. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. The older brother dies. Um, so that was, like, my reference oh, okay. <laughs> to ordinary people. Yeah. But, yeah, I had never, I had never experienced never seen, it. Okay. Had you? I had. Okay. I had watched this when I was wa- trying to catch up on movies from the past. Yeah. And I watched Ordinary People. Because it seemed approachable. Yeah. Like when I was watching it, I was just like, oh, this could be interesting. And I remember watching it and thinking, okay, like I kind of get what you're doing here. Yeah. But being underwhelmed by it. Mm-hmm. And I tried to go into this. I, I've been very vocal about ordinary people. Yeah, you have. And not like, <laughs> yeah, like on the podcast, off the podcast. I've been pretty vocal about it. And I did want to go in with a little bit of an open mind and like, okay. What is this movie? Yeah. Let's try to watch it with an open mind because I'm not looking forward to the 80s and this is the beginning of the 80s. So I did watch it with an open mind. And I will say that even with that open mind, I found it very ordinary. (laughs) It is. It is very ordinary. Yeah. But I really actually appreciate like what he wants to do with this. I think there's a lot of subject matter here. Like this is, you mentioned in Kramer versus Kramer that like it could be a lifetime movie. This is like so much closer. (laughs) This is now like today, this would be lifetime movie. A lifetime movie. This is high brother. With a bit more substance. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a lifetime movie starring like a great cast as opposed to like the normal lifetime. Lifetime, yeah. Yeah. Like faces you've recognized. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be produced by like a celebrity. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. And so I, while watching it, I didn't realize it was about mental health at all. I thought it yeah, was okay. more about guilt. Yeah. Or even just like grief in general. Grief and guilt. Yeah. But I didn't realize like the whole movie surrounds around the younger brother's yeah. like, actual mental health. Yeah. Which I, for the eighties, was like very yeah. surprised very by. Yeah. And I think he actually does a really good job. Of presenting it like yeah. it could easily be very cheesy or just like too extreme but it's just so it's just like it's there it's really just there <laughs> yeah it's really it's not bad it's just like white bread like it's with really some white on bread it. yeah mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with the fact that it's an entire white cast yeah like end to end i didn't even see a, a person of color in the background <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm not surprised. I'm it's... not surprised, but also I was kind of just like, not even in the background, <laughs> like not even in the choir. There's not one person. There's not one black person, one like Hispanic person. But it's set in like an affluent Chicago neighborhood. I don't think that's what it, they're trying to go for. for. No, but I think that like, that's just kind of, that's what that school would be like. I don't think there would be in many the 80s? colored people. There'd be at least one black person there. Maybe. Having a tough but, like, time. Would they be in the choir? Maybe. Maybe that's why <laughs> they're there. Because they have a great voice. Or would they be on the swim team? Maybe. You never know. <laughs> yeah. But they weren't. They weren't. But, and I'd, like that aside, that didn't bother me the same way. And like, this is interesting because I brought this up in Deer Hunter. Yeah. I didn't care about it in Kramer versus Kramer. Mm-hmm. It was irrelevant. Yeah. Right? Because it just... Because also set in New York. Where set you in New York, where you would, would think see. there'd be more people, exactly. But something about how that movie is made just feels very universal. This feels very, like, white suburban problems. Yeah. And that's... Which is interesting, because they're not white suburban problems. They're actually very, like... They're universal they're problems. They're very universal problems. everywhere. But I think the problem for me is that while the Timothy Hutton character is interesting, and he's the one going through the depression, and he 
attempt suicide, like all those things. Yeah. I found Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore so white. Also not the greatest chemistry between no. the two of them. I didn't quite land like how are these two people like what attracted them to one another in the first place. In the first place. Yeah. Like why are these two people married? Yeah. And also, like looking side by side of what was like Kramer versus Kramer the year before, now this. Yeah. Meryl Streep, God bless her, yeah. brings so much dimension to yeah. that character that you you do struggle with the idea of like who's in the right and who's in yes. the wrong here. And this Mary Tyler Moore character is so one dimensional. So one dimensional. Like there's no depth there. And like I, as a woman, could watch this and try to think of it on my own of like yeah. why would she be behaving this way? And like there are there are mothers who choose to adore one, one child, child over, over the other. It does happen. Yeah. And like I was finding myself giving her excuses of to, as to why. Yeah. But, like, in the writing and in the portrayal as well, like, there's just yeah. nothing really there. Because I think the problem is, is like you're saying, I think that does happen. You know, I think mothers and fathers have Look, affinities. I'm going to say it. My mom favored my sister over me, <laughs> and then I still talk about it in therapy. So <laughs> It happens. I, yeah, it happens. It's, it's and I get why it happens. Yeah, but. it's totally a thing. It totally happens. But even in those situations... It's never so caricaturish. Like mm. it's never so like you're wondering like does she even like this guy? guy at like all? yeah, at like all. what is she? Yeah, this, it it really should be a level of subtlety where you're like okay, clearly she loves him, but clearly you know there's there's there needs to be more subtlety to that relationship. Yeah, because she is at the end of the day his mother. Yeah, and she does love him to like she does love him mm-hmm. for full stop period, but that the idea that she misses her older son and that she loved him more and all of that that needs to translate and right now she's just playing like some villain yeah i also just don't like if you lost one child wouldn't you then focus, focus everything all you your have attention. on the yeah. other unless like she also blames him yes. for his death but they don't even do a great job no of portraying that on her end and she comes off at some like weird stepmother kind of like she doesn't want to be around him. You and I need to get away. You and I need to like yeah. And like she's always she's chastising her husband for wanting to include like her I, son. I thought there was gonna be a twist that he was like adopted or yeah, something or just like, based off of how it, it just cruel felt she was cruel she was and like not physically cruel but like it, she was emotionally very abusive. Yeah. Like it was very strange and I she wouldn't hug him. She wouldn't hug him and she was very cold and they just try to rub it off as just like this is how I've always been and it's just like no. That's, that's not. not right. That's how you are towards this child. And if you know what if you are great. If that's the story you want to tell me fine. But like I got to understand that. Yeah. And I have no understand and then she leaves in the end. Mm-hmm. Which is very confusing. I will say this like this character yeah made me appreciate the tony collette portrayal in hereditary so much more because essentially yes yeah it's the same it's the same idea you've lost one child because of because of another one and that tony collette character is so is three-dimensional it's so thought out it's so thought out. you can understand why she that whole speech that whole amazing speech you get it Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> and I don't even think it's her fault. Like, I think it's the script. Like, yeah. there's just nothing. Like, they really did villainize this one character. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. And I think that's a that's a great parallel. Because I think Tony Collette's character, 
has that subtlety. You can tell she loves her son, but you could tell she's pissed. She's, she's pissed. angry at her him. Kid, yeah. Other kid died. Other kid died because of him and because of his like lackadastical attitude. Yes. Like she she blames him for and it. And in that in the hereditary situation, yeah. it really is his fault. It really flat out is his fault. In yeah. ordinary people, it's, it's not. not. Like, it, yeah, it's just not. Like Which that is, what could have happened to either one of them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like she clearly blames she blames her living son because she liked the dead son more. Yeah. And like that differential is not in hereditary like she doesn't love one kid more than the other okay. they're they're the way they play out in the beginning is just that younger girl has some mental health issues yeah and she just she coddles her a little bit she more she has more of an attachment as, as she would but because she's also younger because she's also younger and she yeah. has her mental health issues and she's just all she's trying to do is keep her kids together and yeah. then everything happens and that that leads to the movie playing out the way it plays out. And yeah. it is a movie, that is a movie about mothers and children relationships. Yes. Because she talks about how her mother was cold and distant towards her. Exactly. So she's trying to avoid this. She's trying this. to break that. She's trying to break that. And then that's coming at her really hard. Yeah. And again, like you and I are talking about a movie that has nothing to do with this. And I'm like, that movie is so full of other things. Mm-hmm. And this movie is so hollow. There's, yeah, there's like n- no depth to there's it. There's no depth to it. And that's, I'm one, but now as I say this out loud, I was like, is that the point, though? Is like, I don't think he might have been doing this, but Robert Redford could have been saying, like, white people are shallow. No, <laughs> that, the... that wasn't, that's that's not it. And no. I actually don't think the goal was white people are shallow because yeah. Timothy Hutton's character is actually very interesting. Yeah, there's, there's He's compelling. There. He's yeah. compelling as a character and he's got a lot going on. And even Donald Sutherland, you kind of... I think he's a little underwritten as well, but you kind of get him trying to keep his family together. Like, yeah. you get his angle. But Mary Tyler Moore kind of just... You, it's just d- a, you don't get it. a mean mom. She's a mean mom. And so... And the whole thing, it's just very... It's so unlayered. Yeah. It's so flat it as a It is not film. an onion. <laughs> it is not an onion. It's a piece of bread. Yeah. With a little bit of butter on top yeah. of it. That's it. There's nothing else going on there. Everything is what you see. And I think that's quite disappointing. Yes. Especially when it's talking about a subject matter that is so layered and yes. so nuanced and like... And complex. Yes. Yeah. Like how do you speak about mental health but then have such blah characters? Yeah. It's such it. a yeah. blah movie. Yeah. Like it's just so blah. blah. Like it's just <laughs> a blah film, which is in... Again, we watched Kramer versus Kramer the week before. Yeah. Which just feels so much more dynamic. Like, nothing about... And I'm talking about, like, directing choices, score, performances, like, all of it. There's no, like... They've got, like, two fights in this that are a little bit riveting. Yeah. That's it. But they don't even go anywhere. No, they don't. That last fight with Donald Sutherland and Mary Tyler Moore when they're, like, discussing everything. Yeah, yeah. I was was looking forward to, like, something. For her to say something. For her to say something. Why she feels the way she feels. Other than, you know, she was just born to be, like prim and proper yeah. but like there needs to be something more there like what like tell tell him why you are so mad about yeah. your other son oh i wish there was more i wish there was more yeah. but i will admit i did make a bit of a mistake in watching the way i watched this okay because before watching this yes i watched one raging bull oh yes martin scorsese's film that was also nominated this year mm-hmm which is the opposite of this film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In that it's not ordinary at all. No. It's exceptional, actually. <laughs> it's very, very, 
Very good. <laughs> you really love Raging Bull. And I had seen Raging Bull before as okay. well. And it was a long time ago, and I remember loving it when I saw it. And then this was the second time watching it. And I, again, tried to watch it with an open mind. And I was like, no, there's a reason this is what it is. Mm-hmm. It stood the test it of time. It stood the test of time. Because the other thing, like, watching Ordinary People, it's like, oh, this is so 80s. Yes. But watching Raging Bull, it felt very universal. It felt, because you're, you have, and again, such complex ideas about masculinity yes. and violence and toxic masculinity way ahead of its time, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. Talking about things that we've only termed today, the term toxic masculinity is a modern it's thing. It's yeah. recent. But in the 80s, here's a man trying to talk about what that looks like yeah. and the effects why of that. Why he is the way why he is. Why he is the way he is. Where that misogyny and that violence and that anger and like what that comes from, where it is. Just such a fascinating film mm-hmm. to watch. And again, like a freaking onion. So many, <laughs> so many layers. Layers. But this was your first time watching it. It was. So talk to me about it. it. I didn't know what I was getting into. I've only, like, I just know the lore. Like, it Mm. falls into the same group of, like, Godfather and and Coppola and, like, any Scorsese movie. And so I thought it was, like, more mafia-based than anything else. So I was, like, very surprised that it was not that. Mm -hmm. But as much, like, even those ideas of toxic masculinity being presented, this is just so, like, entertaining in itself yeah. to watch. It's compl- It's in black and white, yeah. which I normally do not enjoy. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. Makes total sense. Makes total sense there, in this, right? You, because I, uh, this movie is set in the 40s. Yeah. But at no time did I think it was the 40s. Yes. But the black and white helps with it helps an uh, audience member like understand yes it is the it's 40s. an old time yeah yeah but I, while watching i was like this could have been the 70s yeah. this could have been like the, the 80s yeah. when it came out and just like very entertaining for what it is yeah. like i didn't wasn't expecting that at all i thought i was going to be in for a little bit of a snooze yeah of just like guys in the mafia guys in the mafia no no i don't love the female character <laughs> yeah. i don't get her okay don't get why she's there Kind of knocks a few things down. Like, what, why she is the way she is. In the same sense of, like, this Mary Tyler Moore character. I don't get her purpose. Why did she sleep around with everybody? Like, I don't, I couldn't. Why did Vicky sleep around? Yeah. I mean, it's never clear that she does or doesn't. She says she does. Well, I, I think she's trying <laughs> to instigate him. I don't think she's actually I means I think it. she did. I don't think so. I don't, I could not wrap my mind around her. As a person? As a person. See, and that's fair. I can get that. I think that's part of the deal. deal? I think the whole point is it doesn't matter who she is Mm -hmm. because it's about... It's about him. It's about him and it's about how he treats her. Mm -hmm. Less about who she is because you're not trying to justify his behavior. And I think that feels very purposeful. Like she's meant to just be kind of like one to two dimensional. She's not meant to have this depth because it's irrelevant who she is. He was a monster. Yeah. He was wrapped up in his own world and his own ego and all of that. And it doesn't matter who she was or what she did. She was going to be victim to his behavior. Yeah. What's interesting to me about watching Raging Bull, though, is like I can see the statements that it's trying to make. Yeah. But as I'm watching it, I'm understanding why it's gotten like the recognition that it has over the years in terms of bro culture and film bro culture like i can see why so many people have like sunk themselves into this and in turn kind of become a ray 
I was, it's interesting because yeah. we have talked about a lot about what Martin Scorsese does, has done for bro culture. Yeah. Inadvertently. And I think this is a great example of a movie, especially because I think you and I come from a time where Wolf of Wall Street is a thing. Yeah. And I think <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street is the antithesis to this. Because I think he's actually glorifying bro culture yeah. in Wolf of Wall Street. And I think here he's trying to show, show the, the detriment like of great. it. It's not great. Like, why would you want to why be would you this? want like, to be this like man's this. life is in pieces and he could have he could have been a contender. He could have like, been a contender, he yeah. He, he could have, have been a somebody. So yeah. But it's just not something to admire in any yeah. way. But like someone of not a um I don't want to say like dumb men but like oh, yeah. stupid people yeah, yeah. would watch this and think like oh yeah he's so cool oh he gets the lady i can see like can you some of the because the way cool film kind of <laughs> the way the film evolves he ends up with nothing but i can see like what is attract like the the things that you and i see as like being yeah. toxic being attractive to some male minds hmm. Because they think that is what masculinity is. I, that's, I mean, fair. I think... Which what, I'm saying, like, I'm not saying it's bad that he's done that. But I, it was just really interesting to watch. Yeah. Like, on screen. Oh, this is where toxic... Like, it's so interesting. He's trying to tell us, yeah. this is bad. Don't do Don't it. Don't do this, But yeah. this is where a lot of it probably stemmed from. People saw this and they saw something that they wanted. I think it probably comes more from things like Scarface, which come around right a now. A few years later, yeah. A few yeah. years later. I think this is actually... I can I, I can see your argument. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree because I do think the movie is trying to make a real point. And I think that point becomes clear. Mm-hmm. I don't know if... And the other thing is, I don't know, does this movie have the same clout outside of the film world? Like in the bro world, do people talk about Raging Bull? The way they talk about... Even The Godfathers or Scarface, Goodfellas. Like, does it does it float in the same... In Carleton University, <laughs> in fall of 2009, okay. in Film 101, uh-huh. there was, like, a group of guys mm-hmm. who begged our professor to let us watch Raging Bull. Oh, it shows us what real men should be. <laughs> this is where I'm being... Really? Yeah, yeah. and I, at the time, I was like, I don't want to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, these guys are, yeah, like, yeah. a lot. These were weird guys. But there was like a whole group of Seriously? That was just like, oh. let's watch. You've got to show us this. You've got to show us this. Because he like let us vote on one movie that we got to watch. So what did you end up watching? Cinema Parody. So. Oh, good choice, <laughs> yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. The bros probably we voted We outvoted the bros. <laughs> yeah. They probably didn't like that. I don't think they showed up for For Cinema Parody. <laughs> but, so. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's and I. That's where my. That's where you're coming that's from. That's where I, yeah. I. It clicked in for me of like, oh, <laughs> this is what people took away from it. Yeah. But it goes to show you, people could take away a lot of things. Maybe there was a woman who watched Ordinary People, and she <laughs> vibed with Mary Tyler Moore. And she and was vibed like, with Mary I Tyler get Moore. Her. Which I mean brings us to the the question. Yes. Why did Ordinary People win? <laughs> win Best Picture. Yeah. Honestly, like I'm at a loss. For I'm words. at a loss for words. I don't. I, just, I don't know. I just want to point out the other nominees. We have Coal Miner's Daughter, mm-hmm. The Elephant Man, mm-hmm. Tess, and Raging Bull. I've only heard of Tess being good. It is by my boy. Polanski. Polanski. <laughs> and uh, Coal Miner's Daughter is Sissy Spacek, and she won an Academy Award yes. for it. The Elephant Man. Oh, it's David Lynch. Yes, I have heard of yes. this. 
So Love David. Yes, Love David, and it's supposed to be excellent. Oh, I should watch this, actually. I can see why the Elephant Man didn't get not win. I get that, because David Lynch is David Lynch, and he, this was probably very David Lynchian, so it should be happy it got nominated. He won director for Mulholland, right? No, no, he was nominated. He's never won. Mulholland won something, didn't it? No. Why did I think it did? No, David Lynch okay. has never won anything. There you go. How did this win? Talk to me about <laughs> what happened here. I honestly, I have been trying to figure this out the past week of like what, why would something that is so bread and butter, ho-hum, yeah. come across as like a better pr- picture than something that is so... Vivid. Yes. Yeah. and But like, then I thought, what if it wasn't as well received as like we receive it now, like Raging Bull? What if it just didn't come across the Academy at that time the same way it does now. Well, it was nominated. But, like, in the same way of, like, we are revering it, because we also, we know it's Marty. We know it's De Niro. We know, like, they they make great films together. Like, I don't know what it was like in 1980, in 1979. Like, what what were they thinking? I mean, did, interesting. I get, I get where you're coming from. They did have Taxi Driver. Which obviously had a lot of clout to it as well, because it was nominated too. So I'm just going to read what uh, IMDb has. Sorry, not IMDb, what Wikipedia has about the box office. Okay. The brew of violence and anger, combined with lack of a proper advertising campaign, led to the film's lukewarm box office intake. Oh. By the time it left theaters, it had only earned $10.1 million in theatrical rentals. We also don't know what voting was like then. Like, what was campaigning like then? Were they showing this? I put a finger up because I'm going to read the critical response on Wikipedia. Okay. When it first premiered in New York on November 14th, 1980, the initial release of Raging Bull was met with polarized reviews, but the film would later receive widespread critical acclaim and is widely regarded as one of Scorsese's best works. So yes, at the time... This was not the runaway. Can I... Something just came across my mind. Yeah, yeah. Like, what if... I'm assuming the Academy at that time was probably predominantly men. Yeah. What if they saw something in Raging Bull that they saw in themselves that they didn't like? Or they thought that the idea... Maybe they did get it, that he's promoting that, yeah. like, this is toxic, and they didn't like that. That they like the way they run their lives. That they like that they have, like, women on the side that they're going out and drinking at the Copacabana. Like, yeah. what if they all liked that and didn't want to promote a movie that bastardized that? I think that's nice. <laughs> I do think that it was probably more the violence and the aggression in the film that turned people off. Mm. I can see that being a reason why people were just like... Mm-hmm. especially because if we talk about Kramer versus Kramer and even the fact that ordinary people won and like the what's coming up in the mm-hmm. 80s something was happening people wanted to cover things under the rug yeah people were looking for an easy time yeah because even next week with the chariots of fire and we're continuing the white bread kind of like appeal of the film so i feel like ordinary people was probably very easy to watch i also wonder Mm -hmm. without turning this into too much of a thing about race if ordinary people felt safe yeah and felt like a 
I don't know how to say this, but felt like a white movie. Raging Bull. I mean, Raging Bull is not filled with... People of color? Yeah. At all. Neither is Tess, I'm assuming, or Coal Miners are or anything else. And I think that's why Raging Bull to Ordinary People is the proper comparison. Yeah. Because Raging Bull feels less about... It doesn't feel like it's about race. But the whiteness in Ordinary People is very prevalent. I see what you're saying, because I, I can I felt it watching yeah. it. But I also, I, I don't know, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around because, like, I am a person of color, right? Like, ordinary people, like, Raging Bull is Raging Bull regardless of the color of the people in the film. Mm-hmm. I think Robert De Niro being white has nothing to do with it. And you could have flipped those, yes, it's about a real person. So there's that. That's that's how a whole other side of the story. Yeah. But let's assume that Jake Lomano was not a real person and that it was about someone fake. If it was, if he was black, it would still, you could still, it could still be about rage and anger and violence and toxic masculinity and all those things. Whereas the whiteness of the characters in Ordinary People actually plays a big role because black people would not experience, have that same experience. Indian people would not have that same experience. See, I actually think an Indian family would. Like, that mother similar... character of, like, blaming the, the child, child yeah. and being so strict about something, and the dad kind of being a little bit aloof to everybody else's feelings. Like, I could see that playing out. I feel like so... There were a lot of similarities, like, in their marriage that I saw within, like, my own Your parents' own marriage. marriage. That's fair. Right? Yeah, I think I would see it more as the... What they present to people would be similar, but behind closed doors, I think things would be different if they were Indian. Okay, that well. I think the outward would be very similar to this. Of like, we are, we're okay, we're, okay. we're fine, everything's fine. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. He he tried to kill himself, but he's good now. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> he's swimming again. Exactly. Yeah. I think behind closed doors, things would be very different. Mm-hmm. I think she would actually be overbearing, even if she loved the older son more. She would be very involved in that son's life. Mm-hmm. I don't think she would be as. But I do think the, like, not showing affection, that yes, would still be at play. That would still be at play. I, I think there's there are parallels, like you're saying, yeah. but I think there would be other things that would be different. But all this to say is that I think race plays a big role in how that movie plays out. Without the, like, I don't think it was the voters' uh, intention. Do you think it's just, like, implicit bias? Yeah. Yeah. I think the recognizability and the feeling of, like, oh, I'm seeing myself on screen, or I can see myself in this film. Yeah. I can't see myself in Raging Bull, but I can I can understand exactly what's coming off. But also that it th- those themes transcend race so much. Raging Bull could be about a Punjabi. Anybody. Man. It could be <laughs> yeah. about anybody, any race, anywhere. It could be about anything, which is why I think it stood the test of time. Whereas with your ordinary people just feel so... It's about white suburbia. Yeah. It really... And I feel like that there must be a level of like... We're getting out of... This is familiar to us. We can actually bode for this because we recognize it. It's something that could happen to me and my wife. Yes, exactly. That kind of idea. And the idea, again, that I think in the 80s... Diversity and inclusion and what's happening with the world and assimilation. There's a lot more immigration coming to the North America. There's a lot more the others and outside coming in mm-hmm. and what that means. And maybe that's why you're seeing all these movies that are very, very, they feel very white winning. Yeah. Because the Academy was full of just white, white people, people, white men largely. 
And so you're seeing these films, one after the other, winning that just feel very like bland because that sense of recognizability also makes them kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't think you're reading too much into it. I think it's fair. I just, I don't know if it's ever been thought of just because it's so, it's so normalized. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way, but it's fair. It makes sense. I think when you talk about diversity and especially like the whiteness of a film, yeah. don't, I don't, I don't mean necessarily the casting of it. There is, because a lot of the movies we're going to see are all cast with white people. Yes. Like something like Shakespeare in Love is largely going to be a, like a cast of white people. Mm. But the themes feel universal. The themes feel like they speak to a larger audience. So the movie itself doesn't feel so it's like pigeonholed. There's something very white about this movie. There's something very Republican. There's something very... Yeah, well, I mean, the characters are Definitely. They're white Republicans, yeah. and it feels that way. It feels very much like a conservative Republican white family in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and it feels like their experience. And maybe that's why I'm just like, I have not... I, have, I cannot... Get, I just okay. cannot connect to this. I, I took away some things where I was like, I could see that yeah. happening in my own family. Yeah. I just found that... The character development in this movie, like the Timothy Hutton character is the only one yeah. that really makes the most sense, whereas the other two weren't fleshed out yeah. enough to actually like build something, yeah. to have something like purposeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any sequel people ideas? I'd like to know what happens with the mom. Like yeah. she goes to Dallas, Dallas, Houston. Houston. She goes to Texas. She goes to Texas. To stay with her brother. But like. Then what? Yeah. Like, do are, do they get divorced? Yeah. Does she want to come back? Does she start to go to therapy? Like, she needs she therapy. She needs therapy. Yo, man, she needs badly. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. But she probably doesn't get she it. She doesn't. No. She doesn't think she needs it. And, like, what does that... She turns into a Karen. <laughs> she's speaking to men and, and she's all across already the Already a Karen. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. But, like, how does that play into the rest of, like, Timothy Hutton's life? Like, is he going to go to college? Like, what is that experience? I think so. I like? think they become very estranged, though. Yeah. Like, I don't think they're... Which is been... so, so weird to me. The yeah. idea that someone, like, might not speak to their parent yeah. ever. Who's alive and living. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Like, and have no relationship. Yeah. That's so boring to yeah. me. Which I think is a really interesting concept. Because I just, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very true. Give me a rating. Okay. And tell me, did it deserve Best Picture? <laughs> I don't feel like it deserves yeah. Best Picture. I think it's it's well made. And like, Robert made a really nice movie. So do you think it's because of Robert that you're giving it a little bit more? No, I think he made a nice movie. Okay. It's nice. Okay. It is like a well made Lifetime yeah. film. Like this... You should play this on TV for yeah. people. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think I I love that he's approaching a subject that not many people would, especially in that time. Like, mental health was not something that was discussed. Therapy was not something that was discussed. No, not at all. Grief in itself. Like, people weren't looking at those things. And I, I think he did make a movie for a time and a place. Okay. And so this probably did make a lot of sense in 1980. And this probably was really, you know invigorating something different something new it's now 2023 and it's not any of those things like it's kind of i can see this being the start of something but it doesn't go deep enough for it to be something really commendable i think there's a really good effort in this 
I think the performances are fine. Timothy Hutton is quite good in it, actually. And the performances are fine, but I think the actual character work itself, they're very one-dimensional. There could have been a lot more juice there. And it it's an idea that is then brought into 2017 in Hereditary. Is that 2017? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's fleshed out so much better. It, like, makes so much yeah. more sense. And I think that something like Hereditary could still have been done in the 1980s. There's nothing stopping it from doing that. So why wasn't it yeah. done then? So I can understand why maybe in the 80s this was, like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> why this was something. But I don't I don't think it's a standout. Like, I think it's still plausible to say, like, is this going to be universal to this? Is this something people are yeah. going to watch 40 years down the road and say, like, yes, this is still really great. This is outstanding. Where when you look at something like Raging Bull, it is very artsy for that time. I think that might have been something that was polarizing as well. But to me, when I watch that, I know those characters are in the 40s. But I could believe they were in the 80s. And I could even believe they were in, like, today's time, yeah. too. And I think there's something really spectacular about what he does there. And there's so much thought into like every shot and every just everything with yeah. it like it's really beautifully made and so it's really it is surprising that like this that wouldn't win over yeah. something like ordinary people so for raging bull i did give it four stars okay. because i still feel some disconnect with the characters okay. and like okay. it just wasn't there and i still have those film bros in the back yeah. of my head yeah. just being like oh this is so great it's the best movie of all time i love him <laughs> like literally yeah. that is what they said and then for ordinary people, I'm gonna let him in like a two and a half. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's fair. It is good. It could be so much better. Yeah. Yeah. I respect it. Mm -hmm. I do not think ordinary people deserve best picture. <laughs> I think it's very appropriately named because I think it's a very ordinary film. Yeah. And I don't want to. I don't want to be hyperbolic because I don't want to like. I I don't want to dub down my own opinion of it. Yeah. I just think it's a very bland film. Mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting that Ordinary People and Raging Bull are in the same year because you have something like Raging Bull that is so art. -y. Yeah. Like in so many ways, the cinematography, the music choices, the shots. There's so much choice. Yeah. Artistic choice in that film so many decisions that you could and forget that it's Martin Scorsese it's a director still going in there and you know th there's like a an interesting shot I remember where he's he's just had a fight and he's won or lost I don't even remember but it's like a wide shot of the ring and you slowly pan down into the the rope yeah and you go across the rope until you just find there's a little blood dripping off of it yeah such like little things that like drive and create texture in a film and create like a world ordinary people aside from the content aside from the performances i don't see a single attempt i don't see there's no like it doesn't it, it's not trying yeah. anything it really isn't trying anything and yes the fact that it wants to talk about mental health and depression and you know suicide and all of that is great it's it's a real it's really nice to see that in a film and see an attempt at that and see see a legitimate attempt at that which is I think is the saving grace of it, but that's it. There's nothing daring about this direction. There's nothing. It's so it feels like a lifetime movie because that's how lifetime movies are directed. Yeah. There's no like they're cut and paste like you can 
chart where the commercial should go in this. Like it's so, it's just so bland. There's no, there's no layers. There's no interest. Anyone can understand this. And I say that like a bad thing, which some people probably think is a really nice thing. It's approachable. It's easy to understand. Anybody can understand this, et cetera, et cetera. But I think art in general, and especially film in general, has to dig a little deeper. Yeah. Like this was not, it wasn't, I didn't find it even an interesting watch. I found it quite boring. The score is bland. The performances are okay. The screenplay is like nothing soars in this film aside from Timothy Hutton here and there. But I think even he's let down by a bland screenplay. Yeah. I think the blandness, the regularity, the normalcy of it is why it won Best Picture. I think people liked seeing something that they could reflect themselves in. Whether that has to do with ethnicity or not, I don't know. I think it does have a little bit to do with it. And I think Raging Bull's artistic merit is kind of what kept people away from it. I think if this was on, if this were to happen later on in the 90s or even the 2000s, I don't even know if ordinary people would be nominated. It feels like so. it would be like a beautiful boy or like movies, like family drama movies yeah. that are just kind of there. It feels like that movie, but Raging Bull is in that conversation. Then it's in the conversation now. So no, it did not deserve Best Picture. <laughs> it did not deserve Best Picture at all. I give Raging Bull four and a half stars and I give Ordinary People two stars. There you go. Yeah. We're just ordinary people. Yeah. But even we're more interesting than this movie. Oh, for sure. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. There's no doubt about how interesting There's we are. There's no doubt about that. No. I just, I'm like, I wonder why Robert picked this. I think well, Robert is a ho-hum kind of guy. He's a ho-hum kind of guy. I still love him. I know you do. He's the best the kind baby of blues, ho-hum. Yeah. He really is the best kind of ho-hum. There you go. And like, nobody says anything bad about him. No, that's and true. And I really love that. Yeah. Him and Paul Newman. Paul Newman too. Nobody says bad things about either of them. No, people like the Paul. We need more people like that. There you go. No, we, sorry, we need more white men like that. <laughs> okay, enough about Robert Redford me. No, I could talk about him I for know days. You can. Mita, yes. it's time for some games. Okay, Nadim. So last week you had me connect uh, a wonderful film titled Stepmom Whoa. to another movie <laughs> <laughs> titled Confessions of a Shopaholic. Yes. And I successfully linked them. You did. In a heck of a time. Yeah. Um, this week, Nadim, yes. it's your responsibility Take to it. connect Confessions of a Shopaholic mm-hmm. to Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, okay. A movie we briefly talked about the other day. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a way to do it. Oh, I'm sure. And your timer starts now. Little Miss Sunshine. Stars a lot of people. Stars a lot of people. So does Confessions of a Shopaholic. I yeah. was looking at it. I was like, what? There's actually a lot of people in <laughs> yeah. there. It's very strange. Okay, let's go backwards from Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Um, you're at 30 seconds. I know. I'll give you an extra thanks. 20. I appreciate it. <laughs> Has Emma Thompson where are you going with ever that? done anything with Tony Collette or been in anything? No, with but Tony that would Collette? be nice to watch, right? Like, I feel like, or even Steve Carell. Oh, there's a way you could connect those two. Yeah, there is a way. 
Okay, so I'm thinking Hugh Dancy is in You're Confessions, in yeah, and he's also in Late Night with Emma Thompson. Yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, and Emma Thompson. It, Oh my gosh! I really can't believe you're not connecting that. That's not the way I had it, but there's something there's you're, some, real, you're missing right in now. In date night, in late night, yeah, a big one in late night. Yeah, and it's a minute twenty. Should I, I'll give you in late s- night. In late night, you're missing something huge. <laughs> Mindy Kaling. Okay, it's a minute. Yeah, it's a minute thirty now. Mindy Kaling and The Office. There you go. Okay. I just screamed off there. Screamed into the mic. I'm so sorry, but yeah. like, I'm there you go. Yeah, you, yeah. You had it. Hugh Dancy is in the Confessions of a Shopaholic, <laughs> who's also in Day Night with Mindy Kaling, who late is in night. the uh, Late Night, yeah. who's also in The Office <laughs> with Steve Carell, who's in Little Miss Sunshine. Whoa! How did you miss that? I don't know. That's a big one. I have a bit of a cold. So. <laughs> Okay. That's not the way I connected it. So how did you connect it? I had John Goodman is in Confessions of a Shopaholic. He's in Argo with Alan Arkin. Who Who is is in in Little Miss Sunshine. Sunshine. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I don't... I I, I I wanted to cry for you. I forgot about The Office for both of them. That is... I don't know know how you... I just did. I have a head cold. You don't love Mindy Kaling. (laughs) No, I do. Mita, what are we watching next week? Next week, we are watching 1981's Best Picture, Chariots of oh, Fire. God. I've never seen it. I've never seen Chariots of Fire either, but I there's... I just know that the, dun, the dun, scene. Dun, 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 dun. Speaking of The Office. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's a reason I've never seen this, yeah. but we'll find out uh we'll What find if out it's really week. great? We never know. Mm, yeah. Mita, do you have any parting words for us? <laughs> Can I just say the quotes for this one? Where it's like, I was there thinking, Because the dialogue is so, so bland. bland. I was pulling, pulling. Yeah, pulling. Pulling. But I came up with this. Okay. Pratt, you have nice knees. What? What a Why? weird line. Do boys talk like that? God, maybe in the 80s. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Please like, subscribe, share, and... Rate and review. And we will see you next week for Chariots of Fire. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Have a lovely week, folks. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World, sponsored by No One. You can send us an email at moviestowatchpod at gmail.com, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at moviestowatchpod, and check out our letterbox at movies, the number two, watch pod. As always, keep your pants on and don't forget to smell the Kevin Bacon.